following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Go ahead and close your eyes, bow your head. Let's take a moment and pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, for the frost on the ground, and for your hand uh, that is moving in each one of our lives. We pray, uh, Father God, in this moment that we would take a second, we would pause and center ourselves on you. We ask that you would help us to be still and know that you are God, no matter what our situations or circumstances are happening in our world. We pray that you would allow us just for the next couple of minutes to rest in the fact that you love us. We pray this morning that you would meet each and every single person here, God, at whatever point he or she is in in their life whether they're in a season of of joy, a season of struggle, a season of fear, a season of contemplation, we pray that you would help us to know that you are meeting those needs, uh, each and every single one, according to your time. We pray that you would open and soften our hearts here today, that we would be able to receive all that you have for us. Uh, For those people who are here who are carrying a heavy burden, God, maybe there's somebody here who's full of fear or uncertainty, Uh, we pray that you would just really touch them with your love and cast out that fear. And God, we would ask that you would um, help us uh, to understand you, and we would ask that you would be patient with us here this morning. We pray, God, that you would comfort us with what your word says here today, heal those wounds, help us receive that grace, restore our souls, God. We pray that you would help us to know what it means to have joy and hope in a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would uh, break our heart for what breaks yours. Uh, Guide our nation, Lord. We know that there's so many things going on that are outside of our control. Uh, We pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for you and your love. We pray that you would rule this earth. We pray that you would reign here. We pray that the Spirit would destroy barriers that divide us even as a church. We pray that you would help us to eliminate gossip and slander, impatience and hatred. Help us to accept with joy that life that you give us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to give you our gratitude when we see your hand moving. Encourage us as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ Empower us to be bold. Empower us, Lord Jesus, even after we hear your message today to reach the community that surrounds us. We want to make your son known both near and far. And so, God, we pray these things this morning because we know that yours is the kingdom and you have all the power and you receive all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to end our series on buzzwords, and somebody said to me, I thought our series was called Word Buzz, so we got to work on our logos here a little bit, I guess. 
Um, so if it's word buzz to you or, or buzzwords, what we've been doing is we've been talking about some of these things in the church that people talk about and try to unpack them so we can realize what they really truly mean. Uh, we talked about pride. We've talked about humility. Uh, we talked about tithing, what that means. And then this morning uh, is actually an inserted message um, on relationships. And we're going to talk about relationships this morning because they are so central and so huge. And one of the things that is going on in our church, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a Sunday school class happening called Balancing um, Life's Demands or something to that effect. And it's all about priorities. It's all about how do we prioritize our life? In other words, how do we put in order what is most important and then go from there? Well, one of the things that I realize as a pastor when talking to you as a congregation and even in my own life is my priorities are all out of whack. Amen. I mean, sometimes they're in order for a small season, a couple hours, and then they just kind of go all over the place again. And so it's important to us this morning to kind of reshift and refocus and give you a tool that was given to me uh, from a a mentor, um, given to me from a couple of books that I've been reading, as well as what God's Word says on prioritizing our relationships and what does that look like. Well, first of all, before we unpack and get into God's Word, what we need to understand is what is a Priority. What is a priority? Let's define that term real quick as we move forward. A priority is the right to precede others in order, rank, privilege, etc. It's, in other words, if we were to say priority, we could say precedence. What takes precedence in your life? In other words, what is the one thing that takes precedence in your life? Chocolate? Uh, football? Because, you know, the Steelers are going to win today. Uh, some laughter in there or whatever. It's okay because the Bears will lose. No big deal. <laughs> oh, man. It is a good thing Becky prayed that God would open my mouth, I guess. <laughs> Oh my goodness. What takes precedence in your life? Well, think about that for a second. Prioritize, preference, uh, precedence. We look at some of these things. Uh, When we talk about prioritizing, we would talk about arranging things to do in the order of their priority or to give the highest priority to, okay? We need to recognize the priorities that God wants in regards to our relationships. So how does God see our relationships? What does that look like? I mean, if God, if we were to have Jesus Christ physically in person, sitting here and he was on a chair and we say, hey, Jesus, tell us which relationships are most important. He would look at us and he would say, okay, I'll give them to you. And these are some things that come out of God's word that we can use to rank or to prioritize in our life. Okay. So the first thing I would say is move to the book of John chapter 10. And we'll see number one in just a second. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. If we go to John chapter 10, we see that Jesus is going to start a dissertation. Essentially what he's going to do is he's going to start talking about who he is. And Jesus, the first thing that he says is in chapter 10 verse 1 is he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you. So he's talking to you. He says, listen to me, church. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, the man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door... uh, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him is the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice 
And when he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is using symbolism here as a shepherd. And essentially what he's saying, if you were a teacher of the law, Jesus is saying that he is God, he is the good shepherd, and he is the one that you need in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. The Jews knew this. And so their ears started to perk up. Look at him as he keeps talking. In verse 4, he says, When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Oh, yes, they did. Now, is the Bible lying? No, 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 no. Because there were some people who understood exactly what he was saying. There were some people who were blinded to the fact of what he was saying. And what Jesus was ultimately saying, which was continuing to be unpacked in John chapter 10, is the first relationship that is most important in your life is your relationship. Write this down with Jesus Christ. It is the highest relationship in your life. Jesus says to them again, verse seven, truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone or anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Psalm 23. So the first thing that we see, okay, and again, I apologize for you that are on the sides. The first thing that we see, this isn't in your outline, but you can draw cartoons with me here this morning, okay, is the most important relationship that we have is a little dot in the center of our life, and that is Jesus Christ. He is number one. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not know what relationships are all about. If you have not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, no other relationships have any worth. The creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you, a daily 365 days a year relationship with you. He wants to lead you into green pastures. He wants to help you when you are hurting. He wants to comfort you when you are afraid. He wants to be with you at all times. And he wants you, most importantly, to be in his word and speak to him. It is the foundation for all of our relationships. It is not Jesus Christ is the first relationship. Jesus Christ is in all of our relationships because we are constantly trying to become or be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are constantly trying to be like the good shepherd. Does that make sense? It is the first relationship. It is so centered to us. It has to be of the highest importance. If somebody asks me, what is the most important thing to you in your life, Jordan? It is my relationship with Jesus Christ. What about your wife and kids? They're coming. But the most important thing to me is Jesus Christ. If I do not have Jesus Christ, I do not have anything else. If God were to take my wife away, take my kids away, and do what he did to Job, we would see that we have nobody else to lean on if we don't have him. He is the source of our comfort. I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but if you've ever been to a non-Christian funeral, you will see that the party who is present for the person who has passed away, wow, that was a lot of peas in that sentence. If we were to look at those parts, they are usually absolutely uh, rigid. They are just, they're just torn apart because they have no hope. 
If you ever are present at somebody who has a relationship with Jesus Christ and that person has passed and, and we see that they died. My dad always says, Jordan, they died. They didn't pass away. Where did they pass away to? They're dead. They're dead. I, they say, if that person died, you can see the party that is present looks at it and they go, man, our hope is found on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Nothing, nothing else. We're okay. We understand where that person went. We get it. We will see them again. It has to be the center of your life. Let me ask you just a question. Is Jesus Christ the center of your life? Is he? I don't know. Number two, second one. Okay, so what am I doing? Okay, so Jesus Christ enters into my life. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ the Lord, he comes into my life. This is the first relationship that's most important with me. When I get up in the morning, I spend time in God's word. I spend time in prayer. Throughout the day, I pray without ceasing. I get to the end of my day. I thank Jesus Christ for everything that's going on. Okay, so what is number two? Well, God created man in his image in Genesis chapter one. True or false? You didn't know we were taking a quiz today. God created man in his image. True or false? True, absolutely true. He says, let us create man in our image. Why does he say us? He uses us because God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit are all present when man is created. And we are created in his image. But Adam's got a problem. What is Adam's biggest problem? He is, what? He's alone. He's walking around in a big old garden. Somebody said a sinner. Yeah, he's that too, okay, but that comes later, a little bit later. And so Adam walks around, he tries, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture, he tries as hard as he can to find a mate among the animals. Can you imagine that? This cracks me up, that Adam goes around, he sees a lion, hey, you want to go out tonight? Rawr! He gone, right? He goes up to the sheep, hey, no, I'm not interested in that, right? You see what I'm saying? He's trying to find a mate. He looks to God, he says, God, there's nothing down here that looks like me, acts like me, talks like me, or whatever. And so God says to Adam, it is not good that he should be alone. Let's make him a helpmate, right? So here comes a naked woman, and Adam names him, whoa, man. Makes sense to me, all right? So the second... The second most important relationship that we have is, church, what is it? Our spouse, right? This is our spouse, okay? My marker's going to run out of ink, and that's okay. Now, if you are drawing with me this morning, your spouse is the second relationship that's most important. And underneath that, I would say that this is a circle of intimacy. I don't think I have to unpack that for you this morning, do I? You know what intimacy means? Okay. This is your circle of intimacy. Nobody else besides your spouse is allowed to enter into this circle. Can I say that one more time? Nobody else is allowed to enter your circle of intimacy besides your spouse. Whether that be emotionally, physically, spiritually, you're not allowed in. You just don't get to come in here. Like this, this is Bethany's zone, okay? In, in, in my life, this is, this is exactly where she gets to live. It's Jesus Christ, then my wife. We are intimate together, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, we, sometimes we get along really, really well, and sometimes not so much. 
But we see back in the passage of Genesis chapter two, where God says it is not good for the man to be alone. We need a helpmate for him. But you have to see in Genesis that Eve is Adam's helpmate, but Adam helps Eve too. They complete each other, not compete with one another. So God creates marriage as the most intimate of human relationships. It's first of all, God's fix for man's loneliness. Two, it is a helper to surround and to protect. And we see that what God has joined together in Matthew chapter 19, no man should separate. Like this is something that nobody should pull apart. This is an intimate circle where we look at it and we go, man, this relationship is so fundamentally foundational to my spiritual growth. Now, husbands, you should be helping your wives grow in, your, in, their, in her relationship with Jesus. And wives, you should be doing the same. Okay? In your circle of intimacy, you're drawing each other in towards your relationship with Jesus Christ. This means you get to ask annoying questions. Did you read your Bible this week? Did you spend time in prayer this week? Did you go to church this week? Sometimes spouse has to knock on other spouse head and say, hey, it's Sunday. We're going to go to church today, right? This is what we're going to do. We're going to be involved in the life of believers. His son asked his dad if it was true about what he heard in ancient China. He says, what'd you hear in ancient China? He says, dad, I heard that a man doesn't know his wife until he marries her. His dad replies, that happens everywhere, son. Absolutely everywhere. (laughs) Not only do you not know your spouse, you don't know yourself. And marriage, in our relationships with marriage, what matters most is our spouse because we learn to love, we learn to respect, we learn to honor, we learn to forgive, And this is where the most work should be done. Husbands, you need to work on your relationship with your wife. Wives, you need to work on your relationship with your husbands. I cannot stress this enough. Bill Hybel said, The biblical concept of marriage is a oneness between two individuals that pictures the oneness of Jesus Christ with his church. It is so foundational to everything else. It should be a picture of what Jesus Christ is with his church. Well, okay, but Jordan, you got kids, so do they just not live in your house? Sometimes I wish that were true. That'd be kind of okay with me. Bethany was at a conference Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and somehow I had these two little girls, and we survived, and I still don't know how it happened. Okay, but where do my kids fit in here? Well, that's, that's a good point. Okay, so if I go one more circle, all right, <clears throat> this is my family. Okay, these are my kids. These are my in-laws. These are people who are related to me. Where are we getting that? Well, we see that what happens is in Genesis chapter 2, as Adam and Eve are joined together, okay, they are, are in a relationship with one another. They go ahead and they have children. And as they have children, they realize that some of their kids are really, really good and some of their kids are not so good. And through marriage, we see that children come as a building block for society. We're called to look after and care for one another. We tell people this all the time. Your children should orbit your relationship, not your children. uh, You and your children should orbit your relationship with your spouse. In other words, your kids don't come first. Your spouse does. 
And this is where we get into so many marriage problems is because the kids have become more of an importance than the spouses. We spend more time with our kids than we spend with our spouse. And here's what happens. I'll just be honest with you. What happens is those kids leave, go to college and, or, or go wherever they need to go. And then all of a sudden the house is alone. You look at your spouse and you go, who are you? What do we talk about? What are we supposed to do now? How does this work? If we see Adam and Eve's kids, we realize that God asks Cain, where is your brother? You remember that? Cain kills Abel. Adam and Eve's kids are not good kids. And so all of a sudden, Cain kills Abel. God looks at him and says, hey, where is your brother? And Cain responded, am I my brother's keeper? And you know what the answer is? Yes. Yes, you are. You are the keeper for your kids. You are the keeper of those family members. And so we see this, that God didn't just save Noah. He saved his family for a reason. Somebody once said, the man who seldom finds himself is in hot water is the one with a wife, several daughters, and one bathroom. Makes sense to me. Parents, love your spouse, then love your kids. Because let me tell you something, my dad has told me this for years, more is caught than taught. Your kids are seeing how you love your spouse. If you do not love your spouse, they will not love their brothers and sisters, and they will not love anybody else after that. They can't. They are modeling what they are being shown. They are modeling what they are being shown. So nurture and protect your family. This is kids, in-laws, parents. At some point, church, you are going to have to look after your parents. Bethany and I were flipping coins here, deciding which one we're going to go for. Didn't land. Okay, so we're going to take care of them. That didn't work. All right, number four. Here we go. Let's draw another circle, all right? If our family is there, the fourth relationship that we see, okay, and we're tracking with this from the Bible. God creates Adam. Adam is alone. Eve comes into the story, and she understands that Adam has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd. He's the one that he looks after. Then all of a sudden, there's a circle of intimacy. Eve comes into the situation. They have a relationship with with each other. Their family comes in after that. So what happens after that? Well, now we got these things called friends, okay? And friends is with the big F, because we're going to give you friends with a small f. No f words in church. Okay? What is the difference between a big f friend and a small f friend? Track with me here. A little f friend thinks the problem's you. Excuse me. Let me back here. A little f friend is somebody who thinks the problem you whine about are recent. A big F friend says, you've been whining about the same thing for 14 years. Get off your butt and do something about it. (laughs) Right? A little F friend thinks the friendship is over when you argue with them. A big F friend knows that a friendship's not a friendship until you've had a good fight. In Genesis, as the world is slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, we realize that Adam and Eve are clinging on to certain people. We see this with Jesus' life in Matthew. 
Now track with me here because not only is this relevant to Genesis, this is also relevant to Jesus and his disciples. I don't know if you're following this or not, but Jesus Christ has a relationship with God. Then all of a sudden he skips the spouse because he understands that God is fulfilling every single intimate detail of his life. Jesus doesn't need to be married. He doesn't have to be married. As a matter of fact, it deviates from the mission that he has to fulfill on earth. Then he gets into family members and he loves his mom. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus keeps his mom around if you were to read the gospels. Do you see that? She's, she's present all the time. I mean, he's got her with, he, he, she's right next to him. Then all of a sudden he has 12 disciples. Now of those 12 disciples, we would see that two of them are big F friends. He loves John the most. I mean, he's at the foot of his cross. And we understand that John, or Jesus looks at John, he says, you take care of my mother. He trusts a friend with his family. And so we look at it and we, we realize that somebody has said that if you can count your true friends on the fingers of one hand, you are blessed. I would go a step further and agree with what Gordon McDonald says. And he says, these are the people you will die with. These are the friends that you will die with. They will be your friends till the end. If you notice, when Jesus dies, there's only two of them hanging around. Isn't that sad? But it's also bittersweet at the same time. So we look at this, and Jesus has some of these friends. And I would say, be like Christ. Find three to five friends who you will, first of all, love and who love you at all times, who you can have arguments with and and you're going to be okay with. Two that stick Closer than a brother, that's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 27. And three, sharpen you. Write those three things down. These are your friends. How do I know, Jordan, if somebody's a, a big F friend? Well, let me, let me give these to you. Love at all times, that's Proverbs 17, 17. They will love you at all times. No matter if you're making the biggest mistake of your life, they will still love you and they will stick by you, number one. Number two, they will stick closer than a brother does. Sometimes family deserts you, big F friends stay with you. Proverbs 27, 6. Notice that John at the foot of the cross is still safe while he watches Jesus die. For some reason, the guards don't take John away and crucify him. They let him be at his friend's feet. And three, sharpen you. Uh, One mentor relationship that I'm in right now, uh, a brother of mine, he looks at me, and and before we started the relationship, he says, Jordan, uh, the book of Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Can I wound you and we still be friends? I had to think about that one. I don't know. I took some time and some prayer and I said, yeah, we'll see what happens. This is, a, this is a big F friend. Somebody who can wound you and still be friends. You will grow old and you will die with these people. Now, there's one thing underneath of that, okay? We call this the circle of influence. My writing's horrible. You'll, you'll deal with it. These are the people who you influence, and these are the people who influence you. Now watch this. We're moving this way, okay? You're learning here this morning. We're moving this way. We're moving outward, okay? Should have picked a better marker. <clears throat> okay? Now, who's after that? Well, I would throw in with friends, okay, this is somebody who mentors too as well, okay? We're going to put that in there. So number five, your mentors. 
What is a mentor, Jordan? I have big F friends. These are people I'm going to die with. What does a mentor look like? A mentor is defined as a wise and trusted counselor or teacher. It doesn't necessarily appear in the Bible, but we see some examples of it. Let me see if I can give you a few. Moses in Exodus chapter 18 was mentored by his father-in-law. His name was Jethro. Eli prepared Samuel for tasks and responsibilities in 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 4. Jesus mentors his disciples. Barnabas and Paul excelled in mentoring the younger saints. Acts chapter 9 through 15. The point of mentoring is leading so others can follow well. Okay? So we understand that these are some places where you have some mentors in your life. You have some big friends in your life. Bob Goshen said, leaders should influence others in such a way that it builds people up, encourages and edifies them so that they can duplicate this attitude in others. In other words, if we were to go back to John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus eventually tells us that every sheep needs a shepherd. People need somebody who's going to lead them and guide them. There's a couple in the church who contacted me. And he said, Jordan, we'd like to sit down and, and, and talk to you and, and do some counseling. I said, sure, great. What's the big issue? Nothing. We just want somebody to look at our life and see where we're off. Okay. Not only does that mean the world to me, but that's amazing that somebody would be so transparent to be able to say, hey, I just want you to look at my life and see where I'm off and see what you are seeing so that I can become more like Jesus Christ. Another couple we talked to just a little bit ago, they said, Jordan, we've been learning in balancing life's priorities that uh, Chip Ingram said something that was really kind of interesting. We should take our checkbooks and let somebody else look at them to see what we worship. Is that be something that we could do in our small group? Let me pray about that, (laughs) right? But that's the accountability right there. Hey, check out my, my, che- my checkbook. Look at, look at what's going on here. What's, what's happening? What are you seeing? What am I worshiping? Where am I off? Where am I on? This is somebody who mentors. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Find somebody older and get to work. Be a Barnabas. They're always looking for someone to encourage them in the ministry. Pursue a Paul, someone to watch. Listen, serve, follow, learn, gleam, emulate, and train up a Timothy. Okay, your hands didn't move there, so let's go back and and write that down. Okay, look at this is what mentoring is all about. First of all, you need to be a Barnabas. Barnabas in the New Testament was somebody who constantly was there to encourage. You need somebody in your life as a mentor who's going to encourage you. You're doing a great job. You need to work on this a little bit. Do a little bit better job. Two, you need to pursue somebody like Paul. Someone to watch, listen, serve, follow, read, glean, emulate. Okay? And then you should have somebody like a Timothy, number three. Share with what you know. So, so track with me here, okay? This is, this is how mentoring works. One, two, three. Older, same page. Younger. Right? Older, same page, younger. Those are three mentoring relationships that you can get involved with. All right? It could be in your small group. They could be Sunday school. They could be church. That's how it looks. Okay? <clears throat> now, let me free you guys of something. This isn't me. Okay? This is not me. Okay? So everybody's going to run forward and go, Jordan, mentor me. No, 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 no. Hold, let's go scratch that for a second. Okay? This is within the church, okay? 
So, number six. Let's draw another circle. <clears throat> so, what do I do about this? Now, these are little F friends. Okay? <clears throat> so, I got big F friends and little F friends. Some of you are going to go to lunch today and go, you're my little F friend. It's okay. It's all right. All right, little F friends. <clears throat> I think this is so important because this classifies, all right? This is something our church needs. This prioritizes your life. Who's most important? Jesus Christ. After that, who do I make time for? My spouse. After that, who do I make time for? My kids. If somebody who's a little F friend calls my phone and I'm spending time with my kids, you don't get to come over. This is time with my kids. My phone, my cell phone is set from 12 or 11 o'clock p.m. to 4 o'clock in the morning. You don't get to call me or text me because I'm with my wife. You don't get to be in this circle. Set boundaries for yourself, okay? A lot of us just welcome anything that comes in and we forget about the prioritizing. And what happens is we get frustrated, we get worn out, we get feeling like we're abused. And so all of a sudden we're like, Jesus, why am I so off? He's like, because you're not prioritizing your life outright. And so we're spending time with our kids. We're spending time with our family. Then we go into those people who influence us, our friends, our mentors. We spend some time in, in that area. Then we got some little F friends. I have like uh, Facebook has maybe 2,000 little F friends. People who see me from a distance. Hey, you know Jordan Muck? Yeah, he's my friend. No, 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 no. We're Facebook friends. We are not friends. Hey, you don't know my favorite color. You know maybe my favorite verse, but you don't, you don't know. Okay, these are, these are what I would call, and you can put this in parentheses, acquaintances. Jesus has thousands of these. You realize that? He has thousands of these little F friends. These are people who know you, but don't actually know you. Maybe this is your coworkers. These develop quickly through common interests, activities, or concerns. I mean, I could go to a Pittsburgh Steelers game, don't shut my mic off, and... I could like meet a guy and I'm like, hey, my name's Jordan. He's like, hey, my name's Ted. I love the Steelers. He's like, I love the Steelers too. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then for two hours, we're engaging in these things called, called we love the Steelers. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, man, Ted, it was good to see you. I got to go. But he's not coming over into my house, okay? For all I know, Ted's crazy. I don't want that. So we see here that there's a big difference between big F and little F. Now, where do we see this happen in the Bible? Jesus does this all the time, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 people in the Bible. And then what does he do? He turns around and he looks at his disciples and he said, did you get that? Did you get what just happened? Did you get what I just said? Why doesn't he tell these 5,000 people what he tells the disciples? Because the 5,000 people are just acquaintances. The disciples are the ones who are going to carry on the gospel. All right. Uh, another Gordon Conwell quote, he says, you can only have about 125 little F friends, acquaintances, before you start forgetting their names. Let God choose these people and ask him to help you share with them just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 3, excuse me, gives us a good word here. It said, exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of Sin. These are people who I meet and I'm going to encourage. These are people who I meet, I'm going to pray with. These are people who I meet, I'm going to spend some time with. The Bible tells us if you have somebody in your life who needs something, help them out. If you have a friend here, help them out. Okay? 
And we're moving down here. We see, man, these people aren't necessarily as important as these people right here. Well, there's two more that I never really put in. This is where I used to stop. I used to be like, well, I guess I'm done. And these little friends we could put in parentheses here. I have horrible handwriting. These are my, these are my circle of concern. These are people I'm concerned with. Okay? These are people who I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about these little F friends. 125, 200 people, I'm concerned about them. Concerned about their well-being. Now, they can fluctuate. They can come in and out. Okay? They can, sometimes big F friends become little F friends. And I wouldn't tell people that. I wouldn't say, hey, you were one of my big F friends. Now you're one of your, my little F friends. Don't do that. All right? Um, it just ends up badly. But there's, this is where I used to stop. Okay, when I prioritized my relationships, this is where I used to end. And then I realized there was two more. I got these just uh, a couple weeks ago. Bethany and I, we've been doing the circles of intimacy, influence, and concern for a long time. And then, uh, then we got two more that I didn't really realize. Relationship number seven, this is huge. I have a relationship and an obligation to neighbors and strangers. Never realize this. I'm in a relationship with neighbors and strangers. They asked Jesus, they said, who is my neighbor? Essentially, Jesus answers them, your neighbor is anybody who is in need. And your neighbor is anyone's need who you are able to meet. The second greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22 is that you should love your neighbor as what? As yourself. It's amazing here to look at this and realize that Jesus says you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so we get down here, and my pen's running out of ink, so I'm just going to put NS, okay? All right. We realize that neighbors and strangers are people who we have an obligation to. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was this, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question, If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Loving our neighbor is, I'll give you six. You can write them down real quick if you want. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Loving our neighbor means we share with those who are poor. We share with those who are poor, number one. To love my neighbor is to share with somebody who has less than what I have. I'm going to be honest with you, this is the hardest thing for me. I just, I just don't like sharing my stuff. Never have. Ask my sister. I just, I just, I've always hated sharing my stuff. This is where we share with people when we have something. Number two, this means being honest with them and just. To love my neighbor means I'm going to be honest with them and I'm going to be just. We see this in Jesus' life. Number three, being impartial. Jesus hates when we evaluate who our neighbor is. In other words, we're like, yeah, this guy's kind of got some ripped clothes and he smells kind of like beef and cheese. And this guy, he just smells like beef and cheese. No, 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 both of them we can meet. We're not impartial to who is poor. Four, this means we avoid gossiping and slandering about these people. We talked about this a little bit. I don't want to gossip or slander somebody who is in need. With somebody who's a neighbor or a stranger, and here's the thing. Some of you guys are looking at me going, I don't do that. Yeah, you do. Because I do it. It's when you stand in an elevator with somebody and they get on the elevator and you look over and you go, hey, hey. And all of a sudden you start thinking some things about them that you probably shouldn't think about them. And they start thinking some things about you that they probably shouldn't be thinking about. And then all of a sudden they get off and you go. "Eh." 
It's a neighbor and a stranger. That's somebody. Do you realize that Jesus is constantly loving neighbors and strangers? He gets interrupted all the time. And he loves neighbors and strangers, neighbors and strangers. He's walking with his disciples. Watch this. Look at Jesus. He's walking with his family as well as his big F friends. He gets interrupted by some smallest friends, throws them some food, and his neighbors and strangers, he meets their needs. Do you realize that Jesus Christ himself meets more needs of neighbors and strangers than he does for his big F friends? He spends more time meeting the needs of neighbors and strangers because his big F friends, he looks at it and he goes, you'll, you'll get it. You'll understand it. Just watch it. You'll, you'll get it. Don't gossip about them. Don't slander about them. Number five, don't hold a grudge against them. Let me give you the six. Let me give you the five again. I want to share with them. I want to be honest. I want to be impartial. I want to avoid gossip and slander. I don't want to hold grudge. And six, I'm not going to take vengeance out on them. I'm not going to take vengeance out on them. Jesus said that we should do to others what we would have them do to us. That's in Matthew chapter 7. Do to a neighbor and stranger what you would want them to do to you. So I get on the elevator. Hey. Hey. You look awesome. You look awesome too. We have a good day. How hard is it? I mean, we've been talking about this a lot, but if the Christian is to constantly build one another up, let me just ask you a really honest question. Do you build up neighbors and strangers, people you come in with, come in contact with daily? When you're at the coffee shop and somebody's behind you and you look back and you go, hey, and they go, hey, you look nice today. You look nice today too. I don't want to date you. I know. See? Or how many times do we build somebody up? Hey, you look like you're not doing so hot. You okay? How many times do we build people up that are in our everyday life? To be like Christ, to be like a good shepherd is to shepherd some sheep. Who are your neighbors and strangers that you could go and practice being like Christ? Now, this is one of my favorite things as a Christian because there's no obligation to me as a Christian with them. In other words, these aren't my big F friends. These aren't people who are going to come and speak into my life. So I can practice being a Christian with neighbors and strangers. It's kind of fun because I can totally kill it and still be okay. Hey, you look horrible. Oh man, nailed that. Never going to see her again in my life. I'll try harder next time. I mean, these are people who can really truly love and work on and with. And here's the hardest one. <clears throat> All the way down. And that's enemies. I have a relationship with my enemies. Number eight. Jesus said we're to love our enemies. If you love your enemies, then you pray for those who persecute you. You truly reveal that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life. I'm going to use Martin Luther King Jr. again. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend for it has creative and redemptive power. I would ask you, church, this week to take the initiative to show love and leave the rest to God when it comes to loving your enemies. He will give the love that you need to follow through.
So can we just take a minute here? And would you do something with me? I know there's like some space in your outline or, or whatever. Uh, most of the time it just says notes on the back and you're probably full by now. That's okay. Maybe in the back page of your Bible even. Would you prioritize your life with me? Would you write down, maybe that's on the slip or the back of your Bible, that these priorities need to happen? And I would say, pray through them. Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. Jesus, I want to reaffirm my commitment to you daily. Jesus, I want you to consume me, to live in me. I want you to be in all of these relationships. And then with your spouse, those of you who are married, would you work this week at putting your spouse first and not yourself? Would you be intimate with that person? Share with them what's going on? Talk to them about needs, wants, desires? Would you make time for them? Church, would you do me a favor if you are married and go on a date this week? I give you permission. Go ahead. Go nuts. Find a babysitter, go on a date. Take care of your family. Fathers, spend time with your kids. 90% of being a good dad is showing up. 90% of being a good dad is just showing up and putting in the time. I can't tell you how many times I have conked out on the floor playing trains with my little girls. And what they do is they drive the train over my head and they go, Daddy, wake up, wake up. But they know I'm there. They know I'm present. Would you make time for your family today? Schedule this. Schedule this. Don't dictate your, don't let your life dictate your schedule. Schedule, uh, make a schedule so that it dictates your life. This is when I'm going to spend time with Christ. This is when I'm going to spend time with my spouse. This is when I'm going to spend time with my family. This is when I'm going to spend time with my friends. We were talking about this week. Invite people over to do life with you. There's a football game on today. Invite somebody over to hang out with you and watch the football game. Do life with somebody who's in the church. You got yard work to do? Invite somebody over. All right? These are, do life with people. Get off your computers and do life with people. It's fun. It's fun. Heaven forbid you as a Christian have fun. Be mentored. Go deeper than that. All of these smaller friends, have acquaintances. Be nice to people. Be like Christ to people. Practice what it means to be a Christian on these people. To your neighbors and strangers and your enemies, go be like Jesus to them. This is so important. If we could prioritize our life in this way, I believe we would grow not only as Christians, but grow in our love for each other. What's the two greatest commandments from the great shepherd? You should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Prioritize your life. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father God, thanks so much for what you say in your word about how you're a good shepherd and you created us in your image and then all of a sudden you come in and um, you give us a helpmate as a spouse and we see that we have kids from that relationship and you want us to care about them and uh, the family that's that's been around us. And, and God, I, I pray uh, that you would help us to to seek out some mentors and some friends, just as we see from the disciples. 
And I pray that you would give us the opportunity to really understand what it means to be a good friend and to let some of those good friends come into our life too as well. I pray, God, that the people who come into our life and are, are, are having an opportunity to influence us, that you would allow these people to seek out some mentors, somebody who's older, somebody who's just right in their stage of life, and, and somebody who's younger, to look up to, to ask questions to, to look sideways to, so that we're doing life together, and then to look down to help the next generation learn and to understand. And then God, uh, help us to love these acquaintances, these, these little smaller friends that are around us, and love our neighbors, and love strangers, and God, would you even help us? Us love our enemies. Wow, so hard. Help us to forgive those who just completely destroy us. Help us to love those people who annihilate us, make us feel small. May we be your hands and feet this morning. God, as we get ready to take our offering this morning, I pray that that is just as much of an act of worship as it is for us to sing songs, for us to raise our hands, for us to lift our voices, for us to sit and listen. I pray that we would give freely from our heart. I pray that you would give us the opportunity to give the first fruits, to give sacrificially what we know you have told us to set apart. And God, help us to use all those finances to make your son Jesus known both near and far. Uh, we love you so much, God. Help us to prioritize our life and our relationships. Help us to listen to what you tell us. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.